God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this 12th, I think it is, I'm starting to lose count, 12th Sunday after Pentecost. There's uh, quite a lot of them this year because Easter was so early. But anyways, I had a nice week at uh, Camp Lutherwood uh, helping out in the kitchen and doing some other uh, site support uh, stuff with them. They had a, a pioneer and explorer camp going on this week, 8 to, tw- uh, eight to 12 year olds, mostly girls, about 75 of them. Girls that age are interesting. I officiated a wedding for two stuffed animals, complete with reception afterwards. Heard some interesting random thoughts at the dinner table each night. And in the cabin next to mine one evening, I could hear the girls talking very loudly. And I could hear what they were saying. You know, the walls aren't very thick. I, I heard how hot it was and how tired they all were. And one of them said how tired she was of hearing about Jesus. I thought, well, that's kind of sad. You know, I mean, the whole purpose of Camp Lutherwood is for kids to spend extended, uninterrupted time in a Christ-centered environment away from home, right? But then I thought, well, this girl really isn't saying anything most of us haven't thought at some time ourselves. I mean, I've been to prayer retreats and heard people say after a couple days, I'm sick and tired of talking about prayer. I've been to youth gatherings and conferences where you have worship every day and you do reach a point where you feel you've had enough. (laughs) I sometimes wonder if that's one of the reasons, perhaps, why people leave the church. They're tired of hearing about Jesus. Tired of hearing the same old thing. Now, on the other side of that, one of the things I like most about being a pastor is hearing people talk about Jesus that indicates that they get it. And they're anything but tired about hearing about Him. They can articulate what Jesus has done for them and how it works and why it's important for all people. It's an encouraging thing uh, to hear because all pastors want that for their people, for the people they serve. This also happened last week. After the 8.30 service down, uh, down in the basement last Sunday, Leo Dahl approached me and gave me the best mini-sermon I think I've ever heard. Leo, I just wish I could remember what you said. (laughs) But I just remember it was spot-on gospel. Anyways, this is what you encounter in the church. Sick and tired of hearing about Jesus to pure doctrine testimony. And all of us can find ourselves somewhere in the spectrum of indifference and zeal towards Jesus. But that's enough about individuality, okay? We'll leave that for those who chose not to come today. You're here, and I'm here, and we are the Gentiles whom Paul speaks about in this letter to the Ephesians today. Paul says we're called by God into a different sort of life than, we're, than, uh, than we used to know. I can certainly tell you my life is different than I used to know. If you were raised in the church and this is all you know, it may be harder to identify how different your life used to be. But 
you can say with certainty your life was changed from whatever it was or whatever it used to be to something different when you were baptized. And that's true for all of us. Old, young, we're to put on a new self made in Christ to look more like Him. Not facially or outwardly, but inwardly, holy and righteous. Now, whenever a pastor preaches on holy living, he runs the risk of making it all about law. Do this, don't do that, in order to please God and make yourself righteous or something. So I'll remind you once again that God doesn't love us because we got something right in our lives. His love is based solely on His own will. He loves us because that's what He wants. And His love is what makes us right, and that starts to show up in our lives. That's the holy living. It's easy for Paul to speak of what not to do. It becomes a little tougher for him to talk about what we should do. See, the thief should stop stealing and work to buy what he needs. Notice he doesn't say what, the, you know, what work the thief should do. That's for the thief to figure out. But the change in life should and will occur if one has Christ, if one believes and follows. We all get angry, some of us more than others, and notice Paul doesn't say, never get angry, that's a sin. But rather, our anger should not lead to sin. Like murder, or bodily harm, or deceitfulness, those kinds of things, which break down and destroy other people and eventually oneself. Even our speech should not be destructive towards others. Paul tells us to be kind, tender hearted, and forgiving. Paul likes to compare the bad with the good so that you and I and everyone that would hear can discern the ways of Christ which are better than the old ways, better than the ways we used to be. I wouldn't say this is a recipe for Christian life or something like a multi-step process. The Bible isn't like a, a set of instructions you get with uh, Ikea furniture or something like that. I mean, you can make those comparisons, but they're not perfect because it's Christ who places love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness in us. And the Holy Spirit works and transforms our hearts to do these things. If you're asking then, well, why hasn't Christ put that in me yet? I still can't forgive. So I still can't forgive so-and-so or I'm not always that tender-hearted towards some people. Well, then ask him to. <laughs> Pray. Stay in his word. Stay in his church and commune. It's all transformative. It doesn't all happen in one day. And the Holy Spirit will do his promised work. Paul talks about how we are to be imitators of the pattern of life God has given us. But it's not as if that is some sort of unattainable goal set before us to crush us with guilt or a feeling of not measuring up. This exhortation from Paul is one we can live healthily 
We can live healthily in it thanks to God. Makes you wonder my, why more people wouldn't want that. Right, Leo? I think that's a little bit what we were talking about last week. There's something about why wouldn't more people want the good news of Jesus or all that he's done for us. Paul is speaking to people who have already been transformed. The church, as it was in Ephesus at the time, <clears throat> with Gentile Christians who had put Christ or, or who had uh, put away their former selves and put on the new selves. And the same goes for us, and, that, and that's good news. That being the truth, one might ask then, why am I telling us this then <laughs> if it's already happened? You know, why tell the changed they're changed? Why tell you, the saved, once again, that you're saved? Part of preaching during the worship service is to always be reminding you of God's unending love. You know, not that you'll just forget someday, but that in this life, we're always in a, you know, if it's not a battle, it's a struggle. Uh, we're struggling against the old self still, even, on our, even in our sanctified, baptized states of being. So that's why you come regularly, to hear and be reminded and be strengthened. But also, preaching this over and over again is, is inviting you to ponder again and again the what next and perhaps even act on some of it. Now that Jesus has done all this for you, he came to earth to be born for you, die for you, rise to life again for you, and ascend into heaven to bring you there too, and changes you from your old ways to be more like him along the way. Now that all that is happening, what next? What does your life look like now? Is it depressing? Well, I hope not. Even if you suffer from depression, I hope there's some glint of hope and joy in it that you're not going to live with that forever. If your life is more meaningful and worth loving others as God loves you, then I hope so. Great. That's good. See, I'm setting up comparisons like Paul does in hopes that the, the good is more attractive and encouraging than the bad. And that seems like basic religion 101, right? But we need to hear it. I'm still paying for a very expensive education in pastoral theology, and of all the things I learned, I still don't understand why some people sit on the sidelines watching other people be in deep, meaningful relationship with God when they can have it too. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I mean, I read about it in books as to why. It's sin and, and struggle and all this, but if anyone knows why people are like this, give me the answer. I want to know. Text me or call me or come see me because I'd really like to know the answer. It might help me be a better pastor to some who are in that situation. But to get back to the what next aspect of this message, I'll let Paul do the heavy lifting here since 
I too am an only an imitator of Christ. I can only repeat what he says, either from his own mouth, or either from Jesus' mouth, or from Paul's. Let the old ways of untruth and deceit be put away from you by Christ. Don't be charged with getting rid of them yourself. That's what Scientology seeks to do, and it doesn't work. Nor do the countless other self-virtue belief systems. We let them, we let these things go because Christ replaces hard-heartedness with tender-heartedness, bitterness with love, grudges with forgiveness, and so forth. Therefore, friends, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen.